0: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Size of Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Uh, joining me today is the CEO of HouseRx. Bogie, how are you today?
1: Good, Jared. How are you?
0: I'm excited to have you on. Let's dive right into it. We usually keep these short and sweet. Tell the audience a little bit about your background.
1: So, um, let's see. I've been doing startups my entire career, uh, for better and worse. I think um I think it started with the the dot com era that was my first startup back in two thousand, right out of college. I was an engineer um my very first job, my very first corporate America experience was like a dot com startup that ended up eventually failing um uh, but I never looked back. it was sort of it was startups from there on end for twenty years, and I've seen the different eras I've seen that era, like the crazy ninety nine two thousand um the 2008 crash and then like the more recent bubble that seems to be have gone (laughs) burst a little bit this this in in the last 12 months so I've I've seen the ups and downs this is probably my third time that I've seen uh the up and down but you know I've I've, uh you know it it was a thing to do when I was graduating from college as a computer science major it was sort of you know a lot of people were going to like Microsoft and Oracle but I, I sort of was one of the sort of the cadre that went to the startup because it was a very new thing back then. And I fell in love with the chaos of it and the potential of it all, sort of the upside downside is, I'm not a very risk averse person. So that, that was always a very appealing to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've spent the whole gamut from engineer, I was code, coded for the first three startups. So in my twenties, I went through a bunch of different startups. One was, a, you know, e-commerce was the first one, FinTech, another one. One was actually in the oil field industry, all as an engineer sort of, I was just hardcore coding java and c plus plus python back then um then you know actually i i i i would characterize my 20s as like wandering around these startups kind of as a software engineer mercenary like different completely different industries completely different sort of problems all fascinating in their own right but really just like as a senior you know, sought out engineer that would go out and you can make sort of a lot of money and equity. But I was I was never never really fully clicked for me. What what ended up happening sort of towards my late 20s is my 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 good friend from college was like one year ahead of me. Um, Also, computer science called me and said, hey, we want to go. We're trying to do something about climate change. and you know, and 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 we have this idea about energy efficiency in homes and so forth. And you know, come join us. There were about three, two or three people at a time. And I did, and that was sort of a formative experience for me. It was the first startup I joined where it really had like a double bottom line. It wasn't just another way to make you know a business or a profitable business. It was we were. It just felt like it, it felt different where we were. Not only try to make a profitable business, but try to make a difference and recruit candidates. Talk about what we're trying to do in climate change and CO two emission reduction and so forth. And that company ended up spe- you know that company went from concept to going public <laughs> on the New York Stock Exchange seven and I spent seven years of my life. I started as a director, ended up being the SVP of product management, and that was sort of very formative for me. But you know that experience for me. Just changed everything because I once, once you experience that 1, not only the sort of success for we got lucky in many ways, but kind of seeing the startups go from concept all the way through all the different stages of fundings and the ups and downs all the way to the going public process. But also the experience of, um, working for a double bottom line company, as we called it, um, maybe never want to sort of do anything different. So, I think from then on every company that I've been involved with, including house Rx had to have as a, as a necessity, this sort of integral sort of other mission, which I, I think it's, a, it used to be more novel than it is today. A lot of companies now have a mission and sort of think that it's important, but it's didn't always used to be the case, right? It was sort of like, we were sort of somewhat weird back then. So the company after that was, you know, I met this guy, Nat Turner, who at a time was a CEO, founder of a small company called Flatiron Health. Somebody connected us because we, I had just gone public and they were just starting to scale out and get some traction. And I think a, friend, a mutual friend connected us and said, uh, hey, maybe, you know, he can help you sort of with that next phase because we had just scaled the company. Long story short, you know, when I heard about what they were doing, trying to help cancer patients, it was just sort of immediate, you know, I'm going to go help Nat the best that I can. Because it seems like one of the things you just don't regret doing right so what you what you learn is like when you have this double 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 bottom line mission oriented companies like you just can't like even if it fails for whatever reason you it's hard to look back and say i've wasted three or five or seven years of my life like i tried to do something and it was worthwhile it was worthwhile to try to make a difference and even if you helped five patients uh that seems worthwhile and so that one also worked out i mean flatiron had like this like really, fantastic exit with Roche and, and and so forth. Um and you know after that I um I wanted to just keep doing it and in this case because that was my first actually one in healthcare. Um I just thought wow there's so much more to do here. Like, you know I've been sort of jumped I've been jumping around, around industries before that but when I once I sort of with the flying experience I was like there's there's definitely more to do here. And so I was looking for the next um for the next thing to do and after quite a considerable time off kind of really considering many different things and ideas and so forth I landed on the specialty the the uh the the, the wondrous land of specialty pharmacy and the crazy stuff that's happening there And It was just like we we'll talk about it in a minute but it's just it was just eye-opening how big of a problem it is and how many how many patients and impacts and so we started house Rx to try to make a difference and especially the pharmacy world, it's definitely an area that needs an improvement. And,
0: and talk us through. I usually tell people you kind of already gave us the why, right? But I usually say, um, and I took this from Simon Sinek. This is not my own thinking, right? Uh, why, how, what? You already gave us the why. You wanted to to start it. Uh, talk us how, you know, how you operate today, and and uh, I guess you know the. If, if you had to describe it to well, let me yeah. let, let,
1: let me give you yeah totally yeah let, let me give you a little bit more about the why i sort of spoke out at a high level to the, in terms of it's it's an area that needs improvement but just more specifically you know one of the things that i learned as i became aware of this space in my research is um um you know th- th- there are sort of two things to know about the specialty pharmacy most I, I don't know you know perhaps your audience my, and most people i talk to i find that most people don't even know what specialty pharmacy means um, and that the, 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 there is a difference between you know specialty pharmacy and, and regular pharmacy but it really it, what it means is so the, the pharmacy industry is really split into into two buckets one is like the CVSs and the right aids walgreens all the stuff that you see there everywhere massive industry in its own right but all of that together all of those cvs right aids and walgreens and costcos etc together is just called the regular retail pharmacy and that actually turns out to be a smaller market all of that together believe it or not i i found this insight mind-boggling a smaller market than the specialty pharmacy it's about a two hundred billion dollar market there's a 250 billion dollar market and growing faster it's called the specialty pharmacy market and that market 88 percent of that market is controlled by four companies um and uh and it's, those companies also also are the insurance companies uh which is which is crazy um and there's almost no competition it's very sort of shadowy behind the scenes most most people don't even know it exists but it's not this it, it sounds like a very niche idea and it is in many respects but it's also this massive massive market uh that that operates behind the scenes and um um one of the one one of its attributes is that these four companies essentially are, are almost operate as cartels, which is they have this no company, they have these sort of carved out, <laughs> carved out like territories, and they don't really nobody else can really enter because they also bought the insurance companies that are necessary to pay for to, to pay for the medications. And the consequence, and a, a a very important consequence, and this is what got me to really start House is, is when you when you start looking at that and you start going down the rabbit hole and. Understanding the impact on the patient, So you can ask, okay, so what's the problem? So what if four companies control, you know, this this world? You know, Google controls search at at the moment, at least. Uh, you know, is there really a problem? And there there is a problem in the specialty pharmacy sense in that this patient experience is absolutely atrocious. And the reason is the 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 companies that don't there's no competition, there's no patient choice, so they don't compete for the patients, um, so they don't really invest in making the patient experience uh very well and so uh, very good and so what the, the observation was this which is the those patients who need medication the most uh basically if you're being prescribed a specialty medication it means like you're probably battling a serious disease those patients who are battling the most serious diseases have the hardest time getting access and their hands on for a variety of reasons to their medications and that and then if you read the patient stories when you read families of cancer patients and uh other diseases who are struggling to get their medication and and sometimes life-saving medications on time is just heartbreaking and and incredibly frustrating and also incredibly motivating for an entrepreneur to try to do something about it um so that's the that's the real why is we're trying to help those patients who need these life-saving medications to get have get access to them faster quicker easier cheaper uh, and it's a very complicated problem. Um, and so this has been, this has been, a, 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 this is, that's the why, the what is, so the obvious solution would be the knee jerk solution is to sort of, oh, well, well, let's start a specialty pharmacy and see if we can do a little bit better. There was, it's not, and a lot, other people have, have tried this solution and it turns out that uh, because of monopolistic behavior between the PBMs and so forth that we can, we may we not we have time to get into all of the nuances. It's very difficult. To succeed as a business as a specialty pharmacy, and it's very difficult to actually have impact at scale. It'd probably take a decade to have any sort of market traction. So, instead we. Landed on a somewhat novel strategy to try to, um, make a difference in this market, which is to create a platform that manifest hundreds of mini specialty pharmacies by enabling clinics, specialty clinics to actually become mini specialty pharmacies themselves and kind of leveraging the infrastructure that already exists all across the country. Uh, and there are a lot of benefits to this approach, um, but that is our vision is to ch- take this market, which is a $250 billion and growing something like 10% year over year that is dominated by four companies and have it be disaggregated into hundreds of, of many companies. Into the, uh, and then, and, and we believe that will lead to a much better patient experience.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the patient experience you just mentioned, right? So how are patients failed by the current system?
1: So I'll give you an example. So it it's maybe most helpful to talk to them, through that through a quick example. So you, you go to a doctor, you have rheumatoid arthritis, they prescribe you Humira, which is for the last 15 years, been the most successful sort of biggest blockbuster drug in, in pharma. Very, very commonly used for a lot of different indications. Um, what you'll find out quickly is you will walk out that clinic with that script and it's basically good luck getting it. Well, you'll find out if you haven't been prescribed a specialty medication before is you'll, you'll perhaps naively try to go to CVS and you'll quickly learn that CVS doesn't carry it because it costs like eight grand (laughs) a month, by the way. (laughs) And you keep using it for years. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, where do I get it? And they tell you, well, call your insurance company. And then you call your insurance company, they put you on hold, and then they say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." There's only one place to get it; it's from our pharmacy department. Let us transfer you. And then they transfer you to the pharmacy department, and then you realize it's the pharmacy department that's within the insurance company. And you know they put you through the whole rigmarole and try to set up an account over the phone, and they'll say, "Well, we're gonna have to ship it to you from somewhere in the middle of America." From a warehouse, Uh, but before we do that, we're going to need prior authorization, (laughs) Um, and so we need more information from your doctor. So then you go back and be like, okay, well, you know, call your clinic back and say, hey, they're asking for this extra information. They're asking for my labs and blah, blah, you know, a bunch of different things. And then you're calling the clinic. Can you can you fax it? Usually, fax it to them, and then they say, okay, got it. Well, you know, we'll do that for you. Next thing you know, it's three weeks later. You call the insurance company back and, and this is true. Like you can actually Google it this morning and you, you will just find stories like this. It's just, it's just absurd. That's still happening. You, 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 call the insurance company back and they again, transfer you over to this department and they're like, Hey, did you get the fax? The nurse at my clinic told me that they to this entity, but like, no, we haven't received it. <laughs> and then you're sitting there like, what, what am I, what is going on? <laughs> my doctor just told me I'm very sick. I need this medication. What, well, what else do I need to do? And that's even before we get into like the financial issues. And then, you know, let's say you get through all this, and they say, "Well, you owe to you know fifteen hundred dollars for the for your copay because this is a specialty." And they're like, "Well, I don't have it." Uh, and then I'll, you know, a huge, a huge percentage of the patients at that point just gives up. It's already been like two weeks. It's been horrible. Like, I don't have fifteen hundred dollars. I'm not going to do this. And then they just like don't follow up, and nobody follows up with them. Because the doctor that prescribed the prescription to begin with doesn't even know that this is happening. All they did was they wrote the script and be like, here's what you should take. I'm going to go see the other patient. That's, that's my job as the physician. It's your job now as a patient to figure out how to get your hands on this thing. And then these patients just get lost. In the middle, which is a completely stark opposite than, you know, you, know, you, you get prescribed an antibiotic, you just walk into a CVS, you pay $10 copay, they already, they have it right there on hand, easy peasy, like there's, there's no big problem to solve there. But the moment you step into the specialty world, it's a nightmare. And the irony is these people are the one, you know, like, this is not like an, like a small infection that you need, like a three course of days of, biology. this is like a lifelong disease in many cases that you need to really take, you know, seriously take and, and manage actively without delay. And so the whole system. I mean, most people don't realize this because actually, the specialty pharmacy only impacts you know a few less than five percent of us. And so, you know, for the 95 percent of the population, they have like, no idea that this is a problem. Um, so it's a it's it's a it's just a it's just a complete failure of the system. And then to make it worse, these insurance owned specialty pharmacies departments essentially they don't have any financial incentive really to make this customer service experience any better for a bunch of different reasons one because they're the payer also so like why would i (laughs) try to hurry and you to get you know cost you know my insurance company more money by getting more patients you know more access quickly there's like there's sort of the more cynical view but there's also like the way they get by investing more in customer service doesn't get them more patients their patients don't have a choice the way they get more patients is by having their insurance arm be more successful in employer-facing rfps they want to if they're sitting there in a board in their management meeting saying hey, we want a million more lives to cover this year well the only way to it's not by investing in customer service it's by winning more employer-facing business so what do they do they, they hire more salespeople, and hire more people who are writing proposals to employers not by investing fifty million dollars in a more you know beautiful and seamless customer service that doesn't do anything even if they did that it wouldn't change the number of patients they're covering So the whole system is like is this, it, so it's, it's very easy to see why this is a problem they're not incentivized to do anything about it um and so we think this needs to change um and uh this this whole system just needs to be like disentangled from itself and just have this the tried and true bring bring about this tried and true notion, very American notion. I would say, as a, as an immigrant, I would say, a very American notion, which is competition, and know, and open open access and free market uh, will actually solve this if it's if it's allowed to run. And, and you know, one of the key requirements here is to let patients have a choice of a specialty pharmacy and let those specialty pharmacies compete for their business, which is which is something that's not happening today.
0: What What are you excited in terms of? Uh what are you excited about in terms of what's next for house rx um
1: well we're um you know this is sort of a you know so our business model is to help clinics do this and we didn't know at the beginning somewhat of a weird idea for lack of a better term sort of to try to attack this market in this way and what we're finding is that the reception from the clinics and the doctors that we talked to has been so overwhelmingly positive and we've been selling and getting traction and adding clinics to our network so much faster than even like the rosiest series C deck that we put together for our investors, which, you know, we had it up to the right curve of sales with like rose colored glasses. And we've like exceeded those decks significantly in real, in real life. Um, So I'm just, um, I'm just excited. It seems like we're in a, over the next year or two, we're really going to get to scale actually it's probably a year or two sooner than I thought. I thought this was going to be a multi-year, frankly, slog to like slowly and sort of methodically keep adding clinics to get to significant scale. And I'm hoping we get to very, quite significant scale. And some of these specialties will, we, we will, you know, I think we're not too far away, you know, before we're processing something close to a billion dollars worth of scripts uh, via our network of clinics, which is just just like really big numbers. And so I, I'm excited to get to that scale as quickly as possible so that we can in turn, you know, start try, with that scale, try actually start changing the system, changing the way the payers uh, are, you know, are treating this segment. Um, Changing the way pharma, you know, manufacturers are thinking about this channel and you know getting their support to try to change the system uh, and so forth. So, so I'm just excited about the traction we're getting and 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 how quickly we, we we're hoping to get to scale.
0: Well, I'm excited to continue to to stay in touch with you and hopefully we can get you back on to to come on one of our panels and we can dive into, to more regarding the, yeah. the specialties pharmacy space. But it's been fun
1: yeah yeah thanks for having me it's, it's a good, It's a good conversation start as you, as you can tell. there's plenty of plenty of more we can talk about here because it's such a rich area, but um it, it's it's uh, thank you for your interest in House RX
0: and, and having me on. Absolutely. We'll have you on again soon.